Shut up and sit down. everyone. <clears throat> Before I uh, got ready to do the podcast, I was over on Rough Trade, as I often am, fucking around, as one does. And um, I clicked on the updates, and the only thing that was pending in the updates was Jetpack. And I was like, not today, Satan. And if you guys are hosting um, your own WordPress, you know that updating WordPress, I mean, Jetpack is, lately, it's like, Playing Russian roulette with your site. I can't even. So, yeah, I had to set that aside today. <clears throat> I hope my shit's actually working. <clears throat> Anyways, um, tonight we're going to talk about, um, we're going to, um, yeah, fuck Jetpack. Um, tonight, and I, honestly, I think the best way to do it is to disable Jetpack, uninstall it, and then go to your plugins and add the new version of Jetpack that way instead of trying to install from the update. It's just not a good idea. Hello, Chloe. Are you enjoying my podcast? Okay, I'm going to put Julie online, and we're going to talk. We're going to chat up, um, and we're going to (laughs) do... Cats love me. I'm allergic to them, which is unfortunate because cats love me. My, My sister's cat will be up all on me when I go to her house, and I'll have to, like gear up with allergy medications just so I can go there. <clears throat> I feel you. It's terrible. But 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 it's it's an adorable cat. Big orange fat cat. Adorable. But there is a minion who actually uses my podcast to entertain her cat while she, while she's gone. So well, there you go. You're a cat minder. <laughs> so, yeah. Podcast is hopefully informative, and if it's not, it can be used for cat sitting. <laughs> it can entertain your cat, because cats love me. Um, tonight we're going to talk about um, Canon Divergence, because it's been coming up in conversations, and those of you who are already planning your nano, and yes, there are people who are already planning their nano. Don't be surprised. I've got mine half plotted. Um, I uh, so there are people who are already planning this and they're asking questions. And tonight we're going to um, we're going to do some canon divergences. And we didn't plan anything, so we don't have any fandoms. We don't have any um, fandoms lined up. That's right. Um, we should probably talk about. Um, what is a canon divergent AU? Um, because there have been some questions about that, and I've seen some interesting things, like in story, they talk about, like they'll tag a story canon divergent AU, and then I'm like scratching my head because there's like no canon to be found. Um, and um, in, in, in the traditional definition, it is a it is a 
an AU that diverges narrowly from canon. Um, but I think that you could even, um, I think, I think, and I think by what they mean by narrowly diverges from canon is that they mean it's not some like massive AU, like that, that canon circumstances exist, meaning you're not obliterating canon. So, um, if there's no canon to be found, you're not canon divergent. <laughs> you're canon replacing. There's the podcast. And that's that's not cool. So you don't want to, you know, you you want to have enough of your canon in place to demonstrate where your divergence is taking place. Right, without regurgitating canon. So, you know, if someone, if you want to diverge from canon, like um, Styles gets bit instead of Scott, I would call that definitely canon divergent. Um, but a non-werewolf AU, that's not canon divergent. That's just an alternate because, universe. Yes. So, to some degree, um, and I have Paul's fan lore, it some, sometimes... Um, it, they've actually even defined it as that somebody has a um, a common trope in canon divergence is that a change in the character's backstory and it can't change in, during canon. Um, what if character X lived instead of died? What if character Y didn't meet characters Z until later? Uh, different first meetings, um, everybody lives, are all subtropes of canon divergent AUs. Um, so, but the point about it in any kind of thing that's canon divergent is you have to start with some sort of foundation in canon. Otherwise, it it wouldn't be what we're doing in November. To give an um, example in in my work, I you know a lot of people think that what might have been is a canon divergence. It's not. It's an alternate universe. Um, whereas Lantian Legacy, which is fan fiction of what might have been, would be considered a canon divergence is from Earth. So it's an alternate universe. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> and, and like I, th- I would say, and I don't know, you, some people may disagree with me, Carrie, you may disagree with me, but I don't think AUs like Sentinels are known AUs. They implicitly cannot be canon divergent. Were you saying that they can't be or... Yeah, I don't because see how it's you a cross call... The only way that I could get away with calling a John becomes a Sentinel story a canon divergence would be if he goes to Atlantis and Atlantis makes him a Sentinel. Yeah, you could do a Sentinels or Awakening where you interrupt the current timeline with Sentinels becoming Waking up, that would be that would be a way to do Sentinels, yeah. Or in whatever fashion, either just nature does it or on Atlantis. But if they're already known, you've effectively obliterated it, yeah. canon already. It's a crossover. Yeah. Um, same thing with the werewolves or known AU kind of thing. You, you can't really do that in Teen Wolf kind of thing. It doesn't make there's you you have no canon to work with if. Um, you, if you erase, you're not because you with it like a werewolves are known to you. You're not just erasing the canon events. You're also erasing all the backstory, which is part of story. Canon backstory is is part of the 
um, is part of the canon. So when you do something that dramatic in terms of AU, and I, it was funny because this came up, this kind of question came up a lot in terms of what qualifies as a fix it. Um, because um, it is, most fixes are canon divergent. Because you have to have some canon foundation to, to fix. If so, most fix it fix are are would also qualify. There it's like a would be maybe a subgenre of canon divergence. Um, and yes, I agree. A sentinels a sentinels and a sentinels and guides are known. AU is not even canon divergent for the sentinel because sentinel canon they weren't known. So it would have to be a, a Sentinels and Guide waking up story that would then be canon divergent for the Sentinel. As opposed to, you have to have a, an origins kind of thing. It can't already be in place before your canon timeline. Um, and I had somebody tell me that was really limiting, but actually like a huge percentage of stories, it is like the most popular trope, it's canon divergence. And within canon divergence, I would say the most popular subgenre of, of canon divergence or fix it. So it's really not very limiting at all unless you are just a, a big AU writer. And then this could be a challenge. It could be a big challenge. A big one. A big one. Um, I think a really awesome canon divergence in Teen Wolf would be if Peter bit the sheriff. Yeah. And Peter wasn't alone in the woods. Derek was already there. And Derek saves the sheriff for the bite, but then Derek kills Peter right there. And Styles witnesses the whole thing. Boom. Canon divergence. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> or maybe the sheriff comes upon P- Peter attacking Styles and Scott. Scott dies, and <laughs> Styles gets bitten, and the sheriff gets bitten, and the sheriff kills Peter. And then they're a wolf pack of two, and the sheriff is the, is the alpha. I think you'd want to call that grown-ass adult wolf, like not just adult wolf, like grown-ass adult wolf. <laughs> <clears throat> But it would be really interesting to see um, to this um, to see the sheriff in that moment just go all in on protecting his son and Styles not being able to fabricate. <clears throat> oh, there is a story called Adult Wolf. That's pretty funny. It's on AO3 for those of you who are interested in reading it. Um, Speaking of adults, I um, when I went grocery shopping earlier in the week, I had bought some chocolate Oreos, right? And I put them on the table. And then I had bought these um, these uh, cinnamon um, caramelitas. They're like cinnamon cookies, crackers. They're like they're like a snickerdoodle and a graham cracker had a baby. I, I highly recommend them. They are so good, but they're very delicate. Um, and anyway, I got them at Walmart, and I bought two boxes of those because my husband really enjoys those, and I put those two boxes on top of the Oreos. I kind of forgot about them, right, So um, until I went to get some. And then I put the two boxes back on top of the Oreos because 
whatever. Anyways, my husband comes up and says, I have a bone to pick with you. And I'm like, what? He said, I found the Oreos. I said, I'm an adult. (laughs) It's the first thing out of my mouth. I'm an adult. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, I have diabetes. And so I have to be very careful with my sweets. And since I bought those cookies um, a week ago, I've only had six chocolate Oreos. I've had six chocolate Oreos in seven days. I think I'm doing okay. And I'm an adult. (laughs) And I'm an adult. That's what it comes back down to, right? (laughs) And my highest sugar after a meal for the whole week, it's been like 150. So, one of the joys of being an adult is to make your own food choices. Mistakes. Um, the dark chocolate Oreos are so good. Oh my God. They are so good. They don't sound they're better than the original. I'm actually they're better than go, the original. I don't need to develop a a new Oreo problem, so I'm just going to, in my head, my head is that they don't sound good and therefore they must not be good. Because if I'm convinced they don't, aren't any good, I won't be tempted to buy them. <laughs> they, they're, terrible, they're terrible, right, Kira? Tell me they're terrible. Right, they're terrible. So terrible. It's the most terrible thing I ever had in my mouth. Really? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I'm very picky about the things that go in my mouth. <laughs> you don't okay. have a problem, um, boo. You have a supply. <laughs> Five cases from Amazon, that's a supply. <laughs> You're prepared. <laughs> You're an it's adult Easter season. Reese Cub eggs came out. Uh, Reese's eggs, their their specialty, whether it's the eggs, the trees, or the hearts, or whatever, it is the perfect proportion of chocolate and peanut butter. They are peanut better butter. than it is an actual Reese's cup. They are. They are better. It, it, it doesn't make any sense that they're better because it's the same ingredients, right? But the proportions are different, and it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And it's just. Yep. A Reese's cup egg in your mouth is amazing. Yes. And it. It doesn't. It, whatever the seasonal one is, whether it's the pump, they've got the pumpkins, they've got the hearts. So those hearts are a little funky looking, that kind of long, skinny heart. But I'm willing to go with it. Pumpkins, hearts, trees, the Christmas eggs, tree, whatever. The egg. They're 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 around enough times in the year that you never have to settle. For just Get a regular the right cup. proportion. That's right. Get the right proportion of, and, and you don't have to deal with getting that that paper wrapper off your Reese's. Agreed. It gets chocolate everywhere. Agreed. Actually, they come out four times a year. I just said there's pumpkins. No, she's talking about Girl Scout cookies. Eggs. She's, oh, she's Girl talking about cookies. Girl Scout cookies. She's she's apparently I, got I, a case of thin mints in her trunk. <laughs> we don't do Girl Scout Why cookies they're in her trunk? Here. I don't know. Because <laughs> the only one I, I, I don't, don't want like, to eat is thin mints. I don't enjoy thin mints, and you can't have thin mints. Um, That's right. Um, my favorite is the s'mores. I love the s'mores. Ugh. Ugh. 
I like there's one of the two there's one of the two lemon cookies that I like um, the ice I think it's with the ice lemonades or whatever but the region I'm in they sell the other one which mm. is good for me because I'm not tempted at the grocery store to buy them because this but when it comes to desserts behind right behind chocolate for me is lemon so. When I go when I'm leaving when I'm leaving Safeway and they've got the wrong lemon cookies, I'm like, this is good for me. This is good for me. Good for my blood sugar. Moving on. So we all agree that any canine divergence in Teen Wolf, where Scott either doesn't get bitten or dies, is good, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I do. I do like to write my canon divergence for Teen Wolf at the end of season two, but I think it, you know, for me, it might, it would be good to explore um, canon divergence more towards the end of season one, which was before they killed Peter. Um, Just because um, I actually found it like when I was plotting, because I've written, I've plotted several stories for Teen Wolf. And when I, when I plotted them all, one of the things, and I, and I have like a conversation in the sequel to react between Tony and, and styles. Um, where Tony's basically trying to talk to him about, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, that he's, he's worried about Styles' state of, state of mind. That Styles was so desperate and so scared that he was willing to participate in burning a man, man alive rather than ask for help. And that Tony doesn't know how to trust that Styles is in a good place decision-making-wise when that's the kind of decisions he's been making. And um, I thought that's really not addressed that a bunch of teenagers burn. I mean, yeah, Peter was positioned as the villain in season one. And I get that. He was doing a lot of bad things. Mostly he was out on revenge. Um, but this and is he was nuts. Was burned alive. Right. He was nuts. He was, he was, he was certifiably insane, but this is a man who was burned alive listening to his family die. And then a bunch of teenagers burned him alive. It, it seems, um, cruel. And, um, it is a little out there, I have to say. It's a little, mm, is that what you did? <laughs> yeah, it's like, really that's the your best choice? Yeah, and so I question all of these kids' decision-making skills, that, that, that they felt like they couldn't, they couldn't get any help beyond making Molotov cocktails and setting a guy on fire. Um, so I, you know, I, I kind of am like noodling in the back of my head, like an idea of something canon divergent before that point. Cause I feel like that that was like almost a point, whether it's the show deals with it or not, that's like a real point of no return for those kids. They killed a guy and um, either they accept that they killed somebody or they um, try to dissociate from it and make it out. Well, it was just kind of like a rabid werewolf, which isn't healthy considering that Scott's a werewolf and, and, and Isaac, well, Isaac wasn't involved with that at that point. Um, but there's just something about the events at the end of season one that really, really bother me that they're unchallenged, even though I, I myself tend to want to write the end of season two because, and I think the reason why I gravitate towards the end of season two is because it's so implausible for me that that is not when the secret came out. That Styles is abducted <laughs> off the lacrosse field and beat up by um, a mass murderer, and that isn't the moment that the sheriff finds out. I have I can't I almost have a hard time making canon. I I can't accept canon in my own writing 
working with Canon after that point, which is why I think because that's like a, a hard stop for me, that's where I tend to make my Canon divergent point. But there's no reason I couldn't back it up earlier than that. Well, the question becomes, is is it because, I mean, the only way I could see that actually working is if the sheriff wasn't there, like in town at all, and was gone for a month, or, you know, he was in a coma, or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had a severe head injury and was in rehab for six months. I just because how do you cover that up? Yeah, and and Styles Styles fed him a line, but when you couple it with all the other things going on, it was it was ridiculous that he bought it. Um, it's just there was so much wrong with those events, and they only let it go another season before the sheriff found out, but um, I don't know. I think the longer it goes on, the the more damaged those kids are, which is why, you know, like one of my favorite things to do is to insert an adult into that cycle somewhere, and, you know, I, I need to an actual of, like, adult explore Eaton. An actual adult, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I and I just had I haven't plotted one in season one, but I think that that would be something interesting to do, is to diverge in season one before because I really do feel like setting Peter on fire was pretty much an irrevocable act. Um, and the, the psychological trauma those kids are wandering around with is immense. It's immense and. I don't know. It's just very difficult to deal with. Yes, Chris. Chris, especially in season two, is not an adult. He he starts acting a little bit like an adult at the end of season two. But my read on Chris, which is why I have a hard time working with him in a positive way in any story that I write, which would all be season two um, or earlier, is that they kind of did a one eighty on Chris. You know, it's like they realized that he was popular with the fans. And so they wanted to give him a more prominent role and make him into a good guy. And he really wasn't, you know, he was an ass. Uh, uh, He was, he was a guy who tortured people um, just because, because he wanted something. So um, because he started behaving like a, because he did the right thing at one point in season two does not really erase all the shit that he did prior to that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dark says that he's an indoctrinated idiot who never questions the cult he's in. And he doesn't until the very last episode of season two. Um, And then it's like, you know, he gets a pass on all of his bad behavior from that point going forward because he let Erica and Boyd go (laughs) as opposed to killing them. They had done nothing to him. So it's just, huh. I agree. Him letting Erica and Boyd go was more about what him doing the right thing for Allison than because of um, um, than because it had anything to do with Erica and Boyd. So it's just season one and two is just there's there's the only the only reasonable adult is the sheriff. 
and he is completely in the dark, and everybody conspires to keep him that way. Um, well, Alice is a lot psycho at the end of season two. Not just a little bit psycho. She's a lot psycho. Um, Did and she, like, gave her... put a whole bunch of arrows in Erica and Boyd? Yeah, and she, she nearly gutted um, Isaac with her daggers in the warehouse. Um, I have a problem with Scott's mom, because Scott's mom should have gone immediately to Styles' dad. Yeah. Yeah, I have a problem with her, too. Um, and in canon, I think this is the way I seem to recall this episode going, is that, because um, I saw bits and pieces of, like, I got really, I tried watching, like, the last four or five episodes of season two, and I had to forward through a bunch of stuff because it was just, I was rolling my eyes to the point that it was giving me a headache. But um, style, Scott is trying to talk to her about the, you know, because Gerard threatens Melissa. And without even, she, she, she abdicates all adult responsibility when she tells Scott, just do whatever he wants. Just give him what he wants. That's what she tells her 16-year-old son to do about this killer who has broken into her house and threatened her, is just do what he wants. So I have a really hard time dealing with her as a responsible parent when I understand she was freaked out, you know, but she just, I don't know. I think that that's just. You would think the more freaked out she was, the more she would have been more likely to tell John because, or Noah, pardon me, Noah, because here's Noah. He's in a position of authority. She knows him really well, um, or well enough, right? Because, you know, Scott and Siles have been friends for a very long time, and and weren't they almost dating at that point, the sheriff and Melissa? Or is that Fannin? I think that's more Fannin, but they spent a lot of time. They were around each other a lot. They certainly talked to each other all the time. He should have been her first port of call. I need another adult in this mess because hello, this is this is fucked up. I need you know, it was dumb. And yet she keeps it to herself, and she hides from her son for a few days. She won't even talk to him after she finds out he's a werewolf. So then, when um, she kind of does come out of hiding. Um, that's when she gets threatened by Gerard. And then she, without knowing what it is that Gerard wants, she just tells, Stiles, tells Scott to do it. Just do it. Just give him whatever he wants. Even though what Gerard wanted would have resulted in somebody's death. She didn't know that, but she didn't want to ask either. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten that she ended up with Chris. That's later in the Ugh. series. Like I said, I just kind of, which, yeah, Chris tried to kill Scott repeatedly. He didn't do it very seriously. I'm sure he would have succeeded, but um, but the thing is, the further you go in canon for me before you diverge, the harder it is to actually do anything more than raise it all to the ground. Um Like I said, I just I find the end of season two was my was my personal stuff. I've read stories I've enjoyed very much that take place later se- later series, but I just can't make it. It doesn't make sense to me that Noah didn't do more. Um, that it didn't come out. Um, that he was just so willing to accept 
wrote Styles obvious bullshit about what was going on when it had gotten Styles abducted and beaten up. So it just was so, and that Styles was so doggedly determined that it would put his dad in danger to know the truth, even though all of those deputies had been killed practically right in front of his father. So it just it it it, it just defies any kind of logic that that it wouldn't have kind of blown up at the end of season two. So that they held on to that for another season is really hard for me to deal with from a writing perspective. So I would always choose to do my my can divergence at at least the end of season two, if not before. Um, and it depends upon what I'd want to explore as to where I'd want to. Um, if I would, if I want to try to reduce the amount of trauma that those kids have piled on themselves, I would want to diverge before they killed Peter. Because some grown or if you want to handling that. increase the amount of trauma put on those children. <laughs> I mean, what, what I'm trying to say is, is that you don't have to make it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Your your can diverge doesn't have to be a good thing. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to end well. And I would also say that about um, July coming up with, you know, changing the endings of movies. You don't have to pick a movie that ended badly to change it. Yeah, it's not a fix-it challenge. It's just just redo the ending. Redo the ending. Pick a new ending for any movie. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a movie that ends badly. When it comes to July, where you diverge is up to you. If your new ending means it starts from the literal end of the movie or it starts one scene back or four scenes back or 20 scenes back, um, you have to determine what it is, where it is you're, you're diverging in the movie. So um, like in one of mine, the way I have it plotted is I'm picking up from the actual end of the last scene. That moment right there is where I am starting to write the new end. So I'm adding on to the end as opposed to changing the end. But I'm effectively changing the end by giving it more ending. Um, But if I were to rewrite the end of The Winter Soldier, I would back up to before they did the data dump. Yeah, I would too. So, um, So that I could fix some shit because I like fixing stuff. I like fixing my pet peeves. Um, but if that's not your jam, if what you want to do is you want to rewrite the ending so that the world goes to hell in a handcart, you've got a dystopian future, go, I mean, go for it. Have fun. You do you. Yeah. I'm not going to read it because it makes me sad, but you do you. <laughs> I'm sensitive. That guy who writes Teen Wolf apparently has no problem with adults dating children. Or teenagers. <laughs> I was scrolling up to see if that she didn't tell Johnny Cage. Yeah, I do like the occasional story that's out there where they allude to the sheriff having actually been Johnny Cage. Uh, and we know that's why he's called John and Fannin before they gave him a fucking name. Yeah. Fine. 
all the fun. Okay, so let's pick a different one. Age of, wait, who didn't know what the age of consent in California was? The dude who wrote Teen Wolf. Oh, that guy. That idiot. Um, Jeff Davis, okay. Yes, you can change the end of a movie to make a pairing happen. In fact, we encourage it. <laughs> on general principle. We like that. Changing the end of the movie to get keep some pe- get people together or keep them together in the case of aliens too is great. Or aliens. Yay. Cuz saving saving um Hicks is all about um keeping them together. Yep. I'm all about it. I'm 100% about it. I'm 100% about saving um Michael Bean. No matter what role he's in. If someone wants to rewrite The Rock um, you, and save him, that would be great. Of course, you're writing pretty much from the first, from the last two thirds. Um, I was not happy that he died so early in that movie. I think then all we it had... would be awesome if Ames and Arthur did run off into the sunset after Inception. I am, I am 110 percent on board with this, Claire. I can't wait to see you write it. <laughs> Even my mouth just fell open. What mean you've never seen aliens? Uh, there's like some how there's like some movies you there's like some movies you have to see. They're like iconic and that's one of them. How old are you? Crazy cakes. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> that's like saying you've never seen The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> what? You really only need to see the first two, and really, I think the only one you really absolutely have to see is Aliens. Um, Alien is a very different vibe. It's scarier. Um, it's more of a psychological, it's incredibly. It's psychological and very suspenseful. Um, whereas Aliens is scary in a kick-ass action movie kind of way. It's super entertaining. Um, came out in I think 1977. Yeah, you got no excuse, girl. Um, get thee to the internet. <laughs> yes, get thee watching the second movie. Then definitely don't watch the first movie if you don't like scary movies. But the second one is is it's you're, an action movie, really. It's action. Yeah, aliens, there's a lot of jump aliens. There's a lot of there's a lot of jump moments, like <clears throat> you know, there's some adrenaline moments, but it's not scary. It's not terrifying the way the first one is is. Um, uh, somebody said something up above that caught my attention. Well, that would be unfortunate. But if you want to to hit the Earth with a giant asteroid, you do you, boo. <laughs> oh.
Yeah, if pitch that's the big is quick, awesome. pitch black is very good. But Liz, if that's a squick for you, you definitely don't want to see aliens then, or yeah. alien, no. or really anything in that franchise. If if creepy things or, inside of people, or oddly spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Don't watch that either. Um, Not a good idea. I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. I I wouldn't. Um, that's that's I a lot of spaceballs. But you are actually surrounded by assholes. Um, <laughs> Hello, my darling. <laughs> yes. I can see it in my head. Me too. Uh, Check, please. Let's do a different canon divergent thing. Um, Let's see. Now, if I were to write something in Hawaii Five-0, I would do it before Danny cheated. I would diverge from there. Like, stop that. Stop those shenanigans right there. If if I were interested in writing Danny Steve, which I actually, I don't mind reading it, but I don't think I would ever write it. I, if I was going to Canon Diverge with Hawaii Five-0, there would have been a time when I would have probably picked somewhere in season one to do it. Um, probably before they put Steve in jail. Um, but after that episode yeah. where... Steve is drugged and he keeps um, having conversations with his dad and he wakes up and he asks for his dad and Danny tells him he's dead and Steve is just devastated. In that moment, I knew that if I ever wrote a canon divergence for Hawaii Five-0, that John McGarrett wouldn't die. I can't do it. There's just something about that moment that the, the the look on his face when when Danny tells him that John McGarrett is is dead, it because he that hallucination was so real for him. I was done. I'm like, okay, <laughs> if I ever write that, I know what I'm writing. <laughs> Somebody's gonna be saving John McGarrett. <laughs> He's going to be alive somehow. I'm all that's, that that, that's the moment, I think, when Steve actually dealt with the murder of his father. Because from the moment it happened, he was in, like, he was in apprehension mode. Yeah. And now it's all over. Well, Thad is dead. And... He doesn't have his daddy, and it's just like it's. Oh. I have a thing apparently for characters with daddy issues. <laughs> Let's just put it that way, and maybe it's because I have my own daddy issues. I don't know, um, but I just I want to give Steve his daddy back. I'm not at all opposed to Tony saving Steve. I mean, John. I'm not. I'm not mad at that idea either. Um, 
And inserting another character is one way of, of going about canon diversions, um, is you bring in a character that uh, anytime you insert somebody new into a canon, you're, you have, there has to be changes as a result of that character's presence. Um, That's your ripples. So, you had, yeah, and, and actually it falls really flat when you insert a character and there is no change. And we see it all the time where you read something and there's a new character on the team and absolutely everything happens exactly the same way. And you're going, really? Hmm. <laughs> now there's lots of, now for me, Hawaii Five-0 is, is a show I definitely have just a couple. It's all in the first couple seasons is where I would want to diverge. I'm not interested in doing any canon diversions for me later in the series. Um, no, me neither. Also, and partially because Steve and Danny's relationship just, they kept playing up that sort of argumentative nature that they have to the point that it was like nails on a chalkboard for me. Um, it got cruel. Kind of like yeah. how the the adversarial relationship between Kate and Tony went from light and fun to mean. Yeah. Well, the, the the I think that's been explored in a few stories that the idea that John was the the cop that showed up for Tony when he was in Hawaii when he was twelve, um, and if you do something where Tony has an interaction with with John as a result of that, then you could use that as a backstory change that results in a canon divergence in the future, like that Tony's around visiting John when that all goes down, and um, therefore. He captures Hess rather than Hess killing John. So um, I've seen it in a few stories now that John was the cop that uh, that, Tony, that that was there when Tony was left in Hawaii when he was twelve. Um, now NCIS, there's a lot of potential points of divergence where I would leave. I mean, but for me, it all ends at season eight. Um, because, you know, dead air. Dead air is the hard stop. But there's plenty of points uh, before that that would be interesting canon divergence points. Um, mostly for me, the way I would write, typically write canon divergence in NCIS is I would have Tony go on to a different team or leave the team. Um, but points that are really obvious points for, you know, potentially for him to leave is Kate's death. Ziva coming on the team, um, Paula dying, um, the end of hiatus, the whole hiatus crap, um, and it doesn't have to necessarily leave NCIS, but he could just move on to a different team, or start prioritizing his career, or just you know anything other than what actually happened. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of things you could use as impetus for change in NCIS as his as his reason for comment on that um, on the air because um, it's a big a big spoiler for current season. Um, I'm the comment in the chat room. Though. 
Yeah. And it, I mean, NCIS does some weird shenanigans because of their um, falling ratings after um, a lot of the mistakes that they've made. Um, so just take anything like that with a grain of salt that they're just kind of flailing about desperately. There's actually a really good gif of an unimpressed face, baby. This is the best unimpressed face that a baby has ever worn. Um, <clears throat> NCIS for me, I mean, dead air is a, I agree with you, it's a it's a dead stop. Um, but there were a couple of places earlier on where I would... Um, boxed in. Yeah. I like Tony leaving from a position of strength um, rather than wounded feelings or whatever. Um, and But you can do that. You can take anything um, and make it be that he does it from a good, for, for, for good reasons, right? Like, mm-hmm. even in boxed in, um, the whole thing with Ziva could have, could have been good, right? That he, that it hasn't been sitting well with him, um, that she's even on the team. And then she displayed a shocking lack of competence in that episode. And it could be that, you know, he tries to address it with Gibbs and Gibbs isn't interested in dealing with it. And Tony's like, you know, I'm not putting my life on the line like this for a woman who she couldn't hit the broadside of a barn when those guys were shooting at them. And then she opened fire in a metal box. Um, Level, that level of panic that she displayed did not speak well to her training. And I would think that you could make a good case for Tony being a little bit kind of, you know, narrow-eyed suspicion over what in the world is going on here and choosing not to be in the field with her and therefore requesting a transfer. And he could get a transfer to Hawaii where he is um, in place working with John McGarrett on something to save John's life, you know? That yes. would be Yes, see? Beautiful. See? That would be two thousand be five years before this Hawaii five O kickoff, I think, ish, about five years. That's uh, a that's a overachiever thing right there because you're cannon diverging yeah. two cannons. <laughs> you're all and in you've it. got um that's five years for John and Tony to get tight and get to know each other really well. While Steve is away, so um, I have built a head cannon for myself that Tony would be exceptional at intelligence analysis. So um, I bet you can even figure I, out that Chen wasn't the um, person who stole that money, so Chen's career wouldn't get tanked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, I think that means Chen's uncle would go to jail, but Chen's uncle deserves to go to jail. He did deserve not to for go what to he jail. did, for what he did. He, he he did that for his wife, and I get it. But that he let Chen take the blame for it was not only the HPD, but also with the family, unforgivable. 
Yeah. Really. Really. You do you. You own up and have some fucking honor about it. It was just utterly dishonorable. So that would be interesting fix. It would be a fix for Chen. You'd have Canon Divergent for two shows. Um, that'd be a fun time to have him leave and go to Hawaii. Um, you could also use any of those places. Um, yes, it is definitely Canon that Ziva was accessing NCIS information and passing it to Mossad. That is what was discovered at the end of season six. Um, and Tony, Abby, and McGee figured it out. And Tony went alone to talk to her about it. And that's when he found Michael Rivkin in her apartment who was drunk. Rivkin attacked him. And then Tony, for some reason, had to go to Israel to account for his actions, which was which is so bizarre. much bullshit. So much bullshit. I wonder how many letters and emails the writers of NCIS got from law professionals in the country. Go, do what? <laughs> it Tony doesn't where? work like that. Like that. <laughs> Nothing. I have all the things that you've done lately. This is the dumbest thing you've done. <laughs> Feds don't go to other governments and explain why they had to kill an asset that's on the hook for the murder of another federal agent. Yeah, because Michael Rifkin murdered an ICE agent, and then he went around killing a bunch of people in L.A., which was the kickoff. His actions in L.A. were the kickoff for the NCIS L.A. spinoff. That was the Legend Part 1 and Part 2 episodes. And Mm -hmm. um, so Gibbs and Tony both warned Rifkin to get the fuck out of the country, and he stayed, and Ziva protected him. And Ziva was phoning. She knew that they were onto them. She was phoning in an extraction for Michael Rivkin when Tony wound up at her apartment. And so she'd been hiding all of this stuff that had been going on. So not only was she guilty of espionage, she was covering up Michael's whereabouts and protecting him and helping him get out of the country, even though she knew he had been complete. He's the one who killed that ICE agent. So, and then on top then of all of that, turns around and does it again with her father later on. I mean, and yeah. and they still. Viva was responsible for Jackie Vance's death because she saw her father, and if she had disclosed what she knew was going on to Leon Vance, there's no way Leon Vance would have allowed um, Eli David to be in at his, his dinner table. Um. So, but on top of all of that, to then haul Tony off to, um to Israel, to potentially to face trial, to be interrogated and potentially face trial for, for killing some, an, a foreign operative in self-defense who wasn't even supposed to be in the country, who had murdered a federal agent. And then, as if that wasn't egregious enough, then they tried to make Ziva a U.S. citizen, wipe all of that under the, all that under the rug, and make her a full NCIS agent. I was just like, holy crap, Ola, man, this is... And that was my whole... That whole little, I could write like a, you know, a whole story on that, but I just wrote 2K on it in that one story I did last week, um, When the Dust Settles, um, where Tom Morrow comes to find Tony after Tony quits because they um, tried to make Ziva a U.S. citizen. And the premise there was that the ripple was Tony leaving caught people's attention, so people started looking into why he left. And the CIA actually got indignant that um, 
Tony was sent to Israel to account for his actions when that's not the way that works. And then that's what wound up bringing down um, Vance and Gibbs. So that is, there's, there's so many potential divergent point, divergence points in there. Tony could have said, no, I'm not taking one for the team. You could, you could have him just put his foot down and say, are you out of your mind? I'm not going to Israel. I want a lawyer. Someone get the inspector general of the Navy in here. I need to have a chat. Because Tony would absolutely know that it was completely inappropriate for them to ship him off. And he was specifically told he didn't have to take one for the team. This bullshit. over with Mossad. When Mossad were the ones who had planted a spy. Needed to do spy, some smoothing. Yeah. They had planted a spy at NCIS. They had sent an agent in who had killed a federal agent. And NCIS is the one that needs to make Mossad happy. Is that how that works? Hand wave of bullshit. I agree. Yeah. It's all bullshit. But so there's so many but, opportunities. But the beauty of this bad writing is that we have plenty of opportunities. <laughs> yes. Plenty of opportunities to diverge. And there are plenty of opportunities further back than that. Because, for instance, um, let's go back um, one more season when Tony was shipped off to the, to, the, to the Ronald Reagan and then later to the Seahawk. Um, agent afloat positions are voluntary. They can't order somebody onto a boat. Ship. Pardon and moreover, I don't hear from the Navy people. Should a plague survivor be no. on a ship? No, I don't think so. I would think his health, potential health issues that NCIS is on the hook for, that any ship doctor would look at that and go, are you out of your mind? If he has some kind of respiratory complication, we have no way of treating him out here. Look, the only agent afloat opportunity that Tony should ever be offered is Atlantis. (laughs) That's right. Unless... Steve has a private boat, in which case he can go float on that. But these are all ideas that you can use for canon divergence. These are also ideas that you could use for quantum bang. These are these are um, these principles, well, not these ideas in particular, but these points in canon are places where you could spin off and do a fix it or a canon divergence. Or both, because more often than not, a fix-it is a canon divergence. Not always. I would say the reverse. Sometimes you... I think, sometimes I think you all fix so too much at canon it. divergence. But... I think sometimes the fix-it principle kind of overrides the canon divergence. Like, like it, it's like the manner of the fix-it. Like, I don't think I don't consider Dr. Lowell a um, canon divergence, but I do consider it a fix-it. Well, it's because your point of divergence is post-series, I think, is, is it, yeah. 
time travel. Um, uh, yeah. So you've got you've got future fic if your point of divergence is is. So yeah, that's. But most uh, typically a fix it fic, you're having to work with some canon. So, um, but you're fixing the time travel. Your divergence point was in the future, a non-canon future. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but when they travel back, you are then fixing fixing the canon timeline. Yeah, I do consider it a fix it, but I don't consider it canon divergent. Yeah, it's a, it's an unusual. I think that you you that's like one of the rare circumstances where a fix it isn't really canon divergent, just because your point of divergence is the future. Um, but it's 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 almost a corner case because I would say most fix its are canon divergent, but definitely not all canon divergences are fix it because we have plenty of okay. canon divergence that is no fixing whatsoever going on. Right. <laughs> Things are getting unfixed left, right, and center. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're going, let's break all the things. Um, but, that's, but I think that's the point earlier that we talked about earlier, is that a canon divergence doesn't have to lead to good things. Yeah, a canon divergence could be alien invasion, that the race made it to Earth. And that's, that's divergent because something happened that enabled them to actually get all the way to Earth, and, and they invaded the invaded Earth. And the, um, you have to know what happened. You need to understand what your divergence point is. But you could easily make it that the race made it to Earth. Uh, what I would wonder is, with Tony's fresh injuries, and including the broken collarbone, um, was it safe for him to fly? Uh. It, probably not. I think he had a broken arm. Um, and no, I don't think it was. Because they typically I mean, don't let you on a plane. A couldn't he have yeah, well, typically, typically you have to have a special kind of cast when you have to fly and they have to get to be you have to be monitoring you really closely. If you have to fly with a broken bone, um I had a friend who had to fly back from Rome after she broke her leg in three places. Um and they give you a, a funny cast that allows for your, your leg to swell, in her case, um, that had to be replaced. She had to go through a bunch of testing as soon as she got here and get a, a mm-hmm. new cast on. Um, but it's a, you know, breaking a bone when you're it, – it's something that they would need, like, a health waiver in order to force an agent to fly with a broken bone like that. That would be – especially a long flight. But in terms of other places that are just ripe for doing a divergence, Tony says no to um, Jenny Shepard's undercover operation and goes to somebody outside to get help with what she's up to. Um, to I read a really good one. Was that was was that yours? Where he goes to somebody else to stop Jenny? No, I wrote one where Jenny gives up on herself. Who wrote the one where? Somebody goes to Gibbs. T- Tony reports. Oh, Shepard memory. To Van. That, oh, that was that was mine. That was mine. That was memory. Oh, see, <laughs> don't let me think. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that that was mine. Think I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, I love that one. That was, was that was my favorite character study. Yeah, um, yeah. Tony goes to Vance with the information, and then Vance assigns him um, to a ship. 
so that he can't be compromised or Mossad can't come after him. Basically, they're putting him on a ship for his own protection. And um, then Gibbs comes back to run the team in while Vance is running the investigation. Yeah, that was me. But that would be a good point, too, as well. I agree. The canon of the Virgins there would be really good. Um, Memories by Jilly on her site. Um, Very good. Because that's the one where Tony goes to Vance. Yeah, and also in that one I considered, when it came to Vance, Tony and um, Vance's, Vance's bad impression about Tony was set when Tony was accused of murdering um, Rene Benoit and because Vance came out to lead that investigation and it that's what basically when they met so I decided that since Tony they hadn't had that moment that it was an opportunity for them to have a different start and that Tony would have no reason there, there wouldn't be the animosity between them and so Vance wouldn't be working hard against Tony so um, I did consider I could have gone with a different assistant director than Vance, but I like the idea of Vance coming into his role as a director um, differently and having a better impression of Tony. So that's why I chose to handle it that way. Yes, that story is all from Gibbs' point of view. It was. Um, what I like about it is that all these events take place because of Tony's actions, and Tony's not in it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like... He's like this this machine moving behind the whole story, pushing it. And it's just it's it's really good. I highly recommend you read it for that alone because it speaks to the power of characterization, um, and the characterization that you can create when your character isn't even on the screen. Because while he isn't present, he is very present in the narrative. So, but yeah. No, no, it it's is on my site. I'll get, I'll, I'll get, I'll get a link. This I wrote this one for a um, NCIS Big Bang. No, this was a Reverse Bang. It's NCIS Reverse Bang. Um, and the art for this story is one of the rare times that um, I didn't even have an idea. I just knew I wanted that piece of art. And see, it's all up in your um, in your site. She she got your stuff. Ah, thank you. Um. What would be really interesting, a really interesting canon divergence, when Jenny ditches her Ziva and Tony in L.A., if Tony went to Hetty and to the NCIS L.A. team and said, um, the director of NCIS just dismissed me and Ziva, and Ziva went off somewhere, and I think we got a problem. That would have been a CYA, and really, Tony should have been CYA. Mm-hmm. Well, I would think that it would actually be protocol that if a director dismisses their security detail, um, that that their agents on the detail have to call in and report that they have been removed from their detail. So you could just insert that one little procedural thing that he calls 
the local, the closest actual field office is in San Diego. You've got special operations in LA and he could make a good, a good case for him to call either of them. Vance would have been in San Diego and Hetty would have been in LA. Um, actually, Hetty special operations wasn't open yet. Um, that they weren't there yet. I fibbed at that time. They would have had, the so it would be Vance called. It would it'd be Vance in San Diego. Um, but special operations actually existed before the pilot. They weren't moving into that building, were they? I mean, because there was another person running it besides Hetty. But I thought she had just gotten the gig. But, yeah, it wouldn't have been Hetty. It would have been the blonde lady. I can't remember what her name was. Assuming it was there, Macy? But I thought they had just opened. Macy. 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 Yeah, Agent Macy. I thought that they had just opened that in season seven. But it could be that it was already there. So you're only talking about a season difference. But – if he had just reported it, because you would think that would be protocol for agents on a security detail to report their movements and that they would re- report that the director has dismissed her security detail. You think that would be reported? No, Vance was in San Diego. He was introduced, but he wasn't living in D.C. He was brought out. Um, from to, to run the investigation because Jenny's actions were called into question around the the, the Brene Benoit's killing. So she wasn't she was supposed to be hands off, which is why they brought Vance in to run that investigation. Well, technically the FBI was running it, but Vance was brought in to handle things at the office. But it would also be but a that other is- divergence if you wanted to just ignore everything else to that point and just start there. Um, that would be a good place to start. It's just uh, just Tony taking care of himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just just following protocol. All he has to do is just call and say the director has dismissed her security detail. We will still be available by phone, and we are waiting for her at the hotel. You know, end of report. And then from there, what the person who is responsible for um, whoever he's reporting to does something with it or not. Um, So that's season, end of season five. Um, There's a lot of canon divergence stories around the events in um, Requiem, which is when Tony saved Ziva and, not Ziva, Gibbs and Maddie from drowning in that car. Um, There are actually a lot of stories where Tony leaves NCIS as a result of the events in Requiem. And I, some of them, it's easier for me to get behind than others. Um, I don't like it when he's, it comes off more as a place of weakness than than strength thing. But him going, I'm, I'm just done with nearly getting killed. Um, because Gibbs can't play nicely with others. I, I need to go do something healthy for myself, like move to Hawaii. <laughs> the ultimate um, health choice. Yes. Let's see. Um, before the, before Requ- there was Chimera. Chimera was just kind of a case of Gibbs being a dick. Um, I have to admit, when I saw that episode, I was a little bit appalled when, you know, Tony was freaking out a little bit more than I thought was in character about the possibility that there was some infectious disease on that ship. But he is the only person on that 
on that vessel at the time who had ever been exposed to a bioweapon and nearly died from it. So his um, angst was understandable, but the kids told him if you're going to die, die quietly, was pretty obnoxious. It's like the height yeah. of insensitive. Um, I would have. I, I think that you could kind of make it, okay, I'm done with you, Mr. Asshole. For me, I could do that in a short. I don't know that I could do that in a long novel. It's diverging from that point. Unless I just really wanted it to be right there for some reason. Like from a timing perspective, that worked out. That would be like 2007-ish. Which does I mean, it could be the work. final straw, I mean, I guess. Yeah. But there are other moments that are much more egregious. Thin, but I did have... Um, I did but have sometimes an idea. it's those little moments that really fuck you up. Yeah, it, sometimes it is the little things. Like you put up with the big thing, big thing, big thing, and it's like, okay, really? Do you have to be an asshole about this, too? Um. But I had had the, um, I kind of had, I hadn't picked a point, but I kind of had a, like a plot bunny I'd been noodling on where um, Jack O'Neill has been monitoring because they kind of had an idea to recruit Tony because of the ATA gene, but they felt it was kind of like he was a low probability of getting him on the team. And so... Um, they didn't want to expose the Stargate unnecessarily when they thought he was low likelihood of success. And that maybe the SGC has been um, monitoring his reports for any indications that he might be happy and that they might see something egregious in a report. Well, like maybe they go, okay, this is a good time to go and try to recruit him. And that Jack's being opportunistic in like showing up at Tony's apartment or something after Gibbs has been particularly dickish. And then I get to diverge two cannons again. I love a good crossover. <laughs> it really just takes like that one little moment just to turn. It's just like. Yeah, I think if, if if Steve were in the Stargate universe, I would definitely have him have the ATA gene. <laughs> mothership, mothership on the mothership. On the mothership. <laughs> yeah, this needs to be a thing. Steve's on Atlantis, and they're having some kind of meeting, and John leans back in his chair and says, you know what we need? We need a cop. And Steve goes, you know what? I know one. I know a Navy cop. Let's look him up. <laughs> and if I'm there, I know he'll definitely a really come. attractive Navy cop. <laughs> I could go get him. I used to be in fugitive apprehension. He's not a fugitive, but I'll be more than happy to apprehend him for you, sir. Okay, so we can't, well, let's, let's there's so many Stargate. Pe- yeah, let's do Stargate. To Canaan Diverge, both Stargate 
SG-1, and Atlantis is that instead of Vala stealing the Prometheus, they pick her up, and Daniel actually has some game and says, hey, you want to take a ride to Pegasus? (laughs) And they fuck off to Pegasus and the Prometheus. And that is Atlantis and SG-1 divergence, because in SG-1, she steals the Prometheus, and the Prometheus doesn't get to go to Pegasus. Um, So that would uh, create a situation where the city actually has a ship before the Wraith ever get there, instead of the Daedalus showing up at the very last moment. Yeah. Yeah. Rodney gives him the finger and doesn't want to go to Siberia. Fuck you. He's like, are you kidding me? Any idea how cold it is there? The whole place is synonymous with cold. There's nothing wrong with a good space pirate. Yeah, we need more space pirates. Politics. He was punished for doing his job. Coffee first. Coffee first. Always coffee. My, my, I was being asked what my ice cream preference was. <laughs> Of course. We can discuss Ice Pirates, but I think that if we go there, it'll be another night of dedicated to dick jokes um, and space Yeah, And And so let's go. Space Herpes. Yeah, Space Herpes. When I was a kid, those Space Herpes freaked me out. It was weird, the things that freaked me out when I was a kid. Now? There was, was, well, okay. There was the Space Herpes. There was um, the Flying Monkeys and the Wizard of Oz. Um, there was Cadbury cream eggs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can guess as to why. Okay, go ahead. I thought it was an egg. I thought it was egg inside of chocolate. I was way too literal for that kind of dessert. <laughs> I was like, who wants to put chocolate around egg? That's gross. <laughs> but space herpes were just, I saw those things. I was like, oh, my God, this is so awful. Ugh. Still don't deal well with the flying monkeys. No, they're creepy as fuck. They're just they're just needs to not be flying monkeys in the world. Um, one of the biggest canon divergence that we see in Stargate is one of the two of them don't go to Atlantis. John doesn't go or Rodney doesn't go. And how that changes the mission. I think it's a great. Um, I think it's a great idea to explore. I mean, you kind of explore that a little bit in not a little bit and a lot in what might have been right that Rodney didn't mm-hmm. go. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have another one um, where neither John nor Rodney go. Um, because um, Weir has plans and Rodney's interfering with him, so she gets him commission and John retires his commission. <laughs> He's like, fuck it, I'm not going if Rodney's not going. We're going to go to Canada. <laughs> See ya. They don't care if I'm gay. We're gay. So bye. We'll be in the Royal Canadian Air Force. Then I um, had one called The Reckoning that I put up on EAD last year um, where John um, wasn't tapped for the Atlantis mission because he was driven out of the Air Force before it ever – he never even got an inkling of um, – Antarctica, um, and O'Neill finds him and sends him out there to ruin everybody's life. <laughs> John's give a fuck is so broken. Some of the parts have already been reincarnated into somebody else. Oh, give a fuck. Is that the one where he's like at <clears throat> the beach house? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was that yeah. was really good. I'm not, I'm not working on that in sprints. Tomorrow. Yeah, I, I kind of, I, um, yeah, I pick, I pick weirdly, I pick something SGA-ish to work on um, next too, even though I need to finish um, editing my quantum, my QB. But um, yeah, but I, I kind of needed another project that was not, um, that wasn't, wasn't a strictly like a 2,000 word prompt. I needed something a little, I think I've written five now recently. Some of them went, most of the, several of them went quite a bit over. And so I have to edit the fuck out of them to post them. <laughs> but I was like, I need something, I need something a little longer to sink my teeth into. And I got something, I got a bunny, I kind of SGA ish that I wanted to. Speaking of, I, say I did, there are discord prompts on the uh, discord uh, gallery that have no rules and no um, minimum word count. They're just inspiration images, and I'll be putting up a new one in about 45 minutes. They go out on Sundays. The Sunday prompt is just just for oh. Discord, so you won't see it anywhere else. I I I got a preview of the Sunday prompt for tomorrow. It is the one for tomorrow, right? It is, yes. Yeah, it is I beautiful. Immediately, I immediately wanted to work on something for that. I was like, oh, yeah is beautiful. I'm I'm really pleased with it. It is actually a request. It was a request from Sadria. Is that how you say her name? Sadria. I think so. Is that how you say it? Okay, that's how I've been that's saying it in my it. head. I hope that's right. Um it's it was a request it was a request from Sadria who wanted to do a James Kirk prompt. Um and it will be available in the prompt gallery on just right at midnight ish central. And it's beautiful. I'm really happy with it. Very it same. is beautiful. It is, it is very inspiring. I kind of got teary-eyed when I saw it. I was like, oh, look how pretty that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. Oh, well, you know, that was a really awesome image, though. The, 
The Railroad Bridge. It reminded the me Railroad of Stand Bridge By Me, which, which was one of my favorite movies from when I was little. Uh, so I put it up there. I'm trying to inspire you bitches. Be inspired or else. <laughs> so this is okay. Like there has been a lot of other there, or else. <laughs> we don't know what the other uh, what the else is. But actually, there has been a lot of people who have been very inspired. There's been a lot of responses. Um, it seems like I'm getting an email every day that somebody's responded to a prompt. And that's amazing. I think it's because they're right there with the Discord and people are sprinting and they're like, I need something to do. And so they go over and they check it out and they pick out something to do. And it's just really awesome. So um, keep that up. And I will have um, – we do I do images on Sunday just for Discord. And then we have the Thursday vignette, which will go up on Discord, but also in the forum and on MeWe. And then we have a monthly Drabble that will come out um, on the first of the month. We've got two so far. We have we have three months of drabbles and there are five hundred word prompts. Um, no, I'm struggling um, with the drabbles. I'm struggling with the drabbles because there are no rules for the Sunday prompts. I did not give you space to place them on RT because there are specific rules for the other prompts as far as like warnings and what you're allowed to do. Like, like you can't put death thick on the rough trade because it doesn't have the ability. You you can't really hide content on the forum. So I don't want you to put anything triggery on there. But when it comes to the Discord prompt, because there are no um, rules, I did not give you guys space on the form for them. But you can pull my image and put it on your site when you do your thing. Found that image on PhotoJet. Dark. Um... It was in their um, royalty-free images. They can go on wild hair, absolutely. Um, just do all your warnings appropriately. And you can even say that it was inspired by a Sunday prompt from Discord. But I just didn't give it any room on Rough Trade because of the the, la- the lack of rules for it. So, so I hope that makes sense and no one's put out by that. Um, I just try to do my part to keep Rough Trade um, trigger-free. On the yeah, forum, you because can. you can't hide. Right. But you, what you can do is if you write of something for one of the drabbles, there is a section on the workshop for you to post external links to your works. It's like, the, is it the newsstand? Is that? Yes, like, it is. Where people advertise their work. So if you post it somewhere else, you can go then and advertise on the, on the, on the workshop that you've posted something to your own site, blah, 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 blah follow the rules of that, that forum. Link, and then warnings. you just can't. You just can't put the actual content um, on it, up in the workshop. It, and it, it, in it the big short, I do have. It? I think so. In the big short, I do have space for the vignettes and um, the drabbles. They're all posted posted in the one forum, but the Sunday prompts you can um, notify the community by using the newsstand. Just make sure to do your warnings and don't put the actual content on the forum. Because um, honestly, I don't expect them to be small. <laughs> and one of the reasons why we do have a content limit on these prompts is to keep my database manageable. And I'm not really sure how the forum is categorizing stuff in my database. And one day I'm going to look at it and probably cry. I just, I just, I got a feeling about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't expect, but um, because you don't have a writing limit on the Sunday prompt, I'm not giving you 2,000 words or 500 words or, you know, whatever. Um, because you don't have any kind of limitations, I don't expect you to be limited. I don't limit myself unless somebody tells me to. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I love that one. I love the um, the Paris picture with the two women. It's beautiful. I was really pleased with it. Okay. Um... Yes, it is called the newsstand, and it's the subtitle of that of that forum is called a place to announce your new works. So you can put your stuff there if you write something for the Sunday prompt. Um, hmm, that's an interesting question. No. Um, Um, Mouse is a sacred bunny. He, 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 nobody's be begging him. Um, how would you diverge, Lady Hawk? I don't know that I would. I uh, wouldn't. I think, I think that's why I stumbled there is because I went, um, I'm kind of like looking up at the ceiling going, where would I diverge? I don't think I would. Um, unless you're trying to not make it happen at all. I love Lady Hawk the way it is. Lighthawk is beautiful. I mean, it would be good points to diverge the Hobbit. Um, so many good points. <laughs> it depends upon what you're trying to do. Um, because you want to, when it comes to canon divergence, you want to pick the point that is optimal for your end goal, right? If you just want to, if I want, if I was very serious about building a relationship with Thorin and Bilbo, I would diverge before Thorin nearly dropped Bilbo from the battlements. Um, it's easier for me, like if I were to just write, you know, kind of, if I was like writing on something novel length, I would want to prevent that moment from happening. Um, yeah, it's a hard moment to get past. I think that if I diverged um, in The Hobbit, I would want to um, prevent the dragon from getting out of the mountain and killing all those people. So, yeah. Um, there are... I think one of the reasons why time travel in 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 the Hobbit is so popular is because there is an inclination to want to um, just fix it all, um, and you have to be careful if if you're going to do a time travel thing, you have to be careful where your time travel starts because you may wind up. Well, I guess you diverge canon by virtue of the fact that somebody went back in time. 
One of my favorite canon diversions is actually not a um, time travel, but in in The Hobbit, um, when Bilbo finds the ring, he shows the ring to Thorin. And they're all looking at it, and they come to the conclusion that it's the fucking one ring. And they're like, well, shit, now we have to take it to Mordor. We don't, we don't, no. So they turn, and instead of going to Erebor, they go to Mordor. And they eventually get there, and um, the ring gets kind of like kicked off into the volcano. Um, And Bilbo steals an airship that used to be an elf airship, and he rescues the... um, the Dwaro, because they've been captured by the orcs. Then they fly the ship to Erebor. I think the dra- I think Smog actually ends up in Mordor too because like somebody told him or something, or yet he gets pissed off and he ends up in Mordor and Bilbo kills him too by accident um, or something. And it's just oh my god, it's so good. It's called That Wasn't Part of the Plan by Mad Fairy, and it is on um, Ao3 and it is fucking awesome. I highly recommend it. Bilbo flies the airship all over Middle-earth. It's great. Keely and Feely take pot shots at people from the ship. (laughs) As one does. (laughs) As you do, yeah. As you Um, do. As as anybody would, yeah. So it's great. I highly recommend it. that's That's what I would do. Let's see. He absolutely does um, deserve an airship. If anybody does, it's Bilbo. It's great. I highly recommend it. And it's a canon divergence. Um, because the one ring, and they're like, well, holy fuck, we can't. <laughs> well, damn it, now we have to <laughs> go to fucking Mordor. <laughs> this wasn't what we were going to do. I think it actually this was not is, in the plan. It's a good moment for Thorin because he puts aside his own ambitions and his own desire, and even the beginnings of gold madness. Um, and does something for the world. It's just, it's really great. Uh, I, I have not read it. this one. I'll, I'll have to read it. Um, Okay, I've got two direct messages. Let's see. Can we have a question? Um, no, I, I, okay, it's just to clear something I said. I I've read quite a few stories that are are that are sort of save the Durans at the end of the Hobbit movie, and I love that as a point of departure. Um, but this is where where I would choose to diverge if I were writing it would be before um, that that crap over the Arkenstone. I think it would be interesting to have Bilbo give the Arkenstone to Thorin. I also like the Arkenstone to be more than what it is in canon. Like in 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 beads on her feet when he finally finds it, the Arkenstone is so furious with him, and they find out that the Arkenstone was basically punishing um, both his father and his grandfather for their greed, and he who has fallen into dragon sickness um, 
the Arkansas just really pissed at him and it breaks them, the, 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 the dragon sickness. And, um, but it still pissed at him because Bilbo, because Thorin isn't the king that the Arkenstone feels like the mountain deserves. And so, you know, he can't even be in the same room with the Arkenstone because it's pissed at him. <laughs> so he has to go get his wife in the hopes that maybe she can calm the damn thing down. <laughs> the idea, didn't, in, in a story, didn't you have the Arkenstone being the anchor of the spell that was, um, yeah, in, um, in small magic, the Arkenstone is actually an, a, a diamond that Saruman um, cursed. Because it's my headcanon that the that Erebor fell because Saruman needed it to be weak. Yeah, it, you totally incepted me when I read that. I was like, that makes so much sense. Um, because Erebor would have been a big stumbling block in, in Hina's rise to power in the East um, if Erebor had been there and if they had been strong. And if if he had deliberately attracted a dragon to Erebor, um, that ex- just explains so much. I mean, yeah, that's one of those things. You sometimes you read something and it's instantly your head cannon. You're like, yes, that is that is the way it is. I do so. I do like the, the <laughs> Arkenstone being a like a, a spell anchor. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I was like, I was trying to figure out because really, when you look at it in the movie, it's just a big fat opal. And what dwarf yeah. is really going to be enamored with a big fat opal? Really? Right. Opals of all things. Um, I have one plotted where the Arkenstone is um, a dragon egg. Um, and that's how Bilbo persuades um, Smaug to leave the mountain, is he agrees to plant it so that Smaug can have his little baby, little dragon baby. Um yeah. Oh, and the dwarves dug it up. Yes, they dug it up. It was gestating. One of my favorite Hobbit fix is where Bilbo just plants everything. Like isn't he there finds one the Arkenstone. Yeah, isn't there one where it's he plants like, the Arkenstone? Yeah, and it's kind of rotted, so he cuts off the rotted parts and he plants it. And then he, like, plants all kinds of shit. He plants the one ring, and then everybody has a ring that, um, it's no longer the one ring. Because he plants it and grows a whole bunch of them. <laughs> There's, like, hundreds. Now, I'm general with Arkenstone in his crown. And the dwarf kids are using the Arkenstones as nightlights, and they're like, Daddy, why does that elf king have a nightlight on his head? <laughs> Garden is always the answer. Yes, that is the story where Bilbo is is planting everything. Um, Including the dishes. They, they grow everything they need in the Shire. Everything. It's tw- everything. It's it's called Gardening is Always the Answer by Twin Fix, and that's twin underscore fix, F-I-C-S, um, as opposed to F-I-X. It's on A-O-3. Um, but I just I just got a different bunny based on my own bunny, um, which the other bunny is sort of irrelevant, but my idea that just popped into my head was that when Bilbo's in the mountain and he finds the Arkansas, as soon as he picks it up, he knows what it is. And he just goes up to smile and goes, oh, this is your baby. Well, no wonder you're mad. 
how can we fix this? What can we do? Well, what will it take? And he's like, well, it's too late. You, you know, you've, you've, uh, they, they, they unearthed it before the, before, before it, it hatched. And he's like, well, I'm, but I'm a hobbit. I can plant anything. I can make anything grow. There's still life in this. I can, I can, you know, make your baby. Hmm. Now, imagine Thorin's reaction. It, it reminds me of that little cartoon with the, with the little chibis where um, Bilbo goes into the mountain and comes out with a tiny dragon, and he's t- holding it out to Thorin, and they're all, like, oh, freaking yes, out. I got him, Thorin. Now what? <laughs> and it's his baby dragon. It's his itty-bitty dragon he's holding. It's, like, it's ridiculously funny. It is adorable. It is. It I don't is know who drew this. I actually have I, – I liked that so much that I bought a print of it from the artist really? on Etsy. Yeah, I have I have a, a print of it. Um, Very cute. But actually, Bilbo could come out of the mountain and say, okay, I have – I've treated with, with Smog, and he's agreed to leave peacefully, but it's going to take a couple of months. <laughs> so – um, I have to stay here. Can you guys go away and come back in November? That'd be great. Bye. I stole him. Now what? <laughs> I love the I, I love the principle that it's a misunderstanding because he's going in there to get the Arkenstone and he comes back with Smaug. <laughs> or he comes back with a baby dragon. What or if that baby dragon Arkenstone. There is some post about how um, the smaller the dragon, the more terrifying they are or something. Because the same artist has another print with Smaug rolling around on a, like a river of fire on a coin or something that says something like, I am fury, I am fire or something like that. It's adorable, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. It is adorable. She's very talented. Now I just got that scene from Galaxy Quest stuck in my head. Let's get out of here before these things kill Guy. See, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got your shirt off. They're so cute. I am fire, I am death. That not that adorable? He's sitting on a gold coin. I'm fire. I am death. What's the artist's name? Yeah, the Benjamin Button condition. Let's see. Okay, the artist is Black Sideshow on Etsy. Is that how you said that? Uh-huh. Etsy. And you can buy prints of the work, and she's just really freaking talented. It's it's adorable. 
Um, yeah, she has a lot of um, Bocchini art stuff, um, including some stuff for Captain America and Bucky Barnes. Um, Speaking of, I, I found a really awesome picture. I was going to do a Captain America-themed, um, uh, what's it, um, prompt. I was kind of, I'm going to do um, some more prompts like that where it's, you know, um, character prompts. Um, and I found this really cool, now i got to find it, image of the two actors. I don't know what those two idiots are up to, but <laughs> it's a great picture. It is a really good picture. Um, no, I don't remember where the baby dragons from that little short for emergence came from. It was posted on Facebook, but it's a, it's not this artist. I don't think. Um yeah, I don't think so. This art art artist, I remember, she also has a fondness for Thranduil and various chibi arts with him. And this one, I don't know why, I just find this to be so hysterical. That is hilarious. Isn't that funny? <laughs> he's sleeping with a stuffed elk. elk. Yes. <laughs> that is adorable. A stuffed, a stuffed elk plushie. He is so not impressed with that wizard. He's probably thinking to myself, himself, my forest is beautiful. I am beautiful. Why did I get Radagast the Brown as my wizard? <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't I have a beautiful wizard? Why do I have this wizard who has bird shit in his hair? <laughs> Okay, so um, as far as, like, uh, canon divergence for The Hobbit, I think any time that you diverge canon enough that you can keep those idiots alive, I'm all for it. Yes, yes. We demand that your canon divergence – demand, yes, demand – your canon divergence be about keeping the Durans alive. And if you don't keep them all alive, you better warn me so I won't read it and cry. <laughs> I am fucking delicate over here. Harry Potter, the opportunities for canon divergence in Harry Potter are endless, endless. I mean, pick a point and you, I mean, you you could open the books blindly and have a canon divergent point, a good one. Um, That'd be like its own podcast is where can you canon diverge in, in Harry Potter? Or it could be no podcast because the answer could be literally anywhere. I mean, um, I when I'm thinking about canon divergence for Harry Potter, I think specifically about moments where Harry makes choices or decisions that resonate throughout his life and his time at Hogwarts. Um, his decision to befriend Ron Weasley, um, his decision to not shake Draco Malfoy's hand, um, his um, the the, cho- the the choices in the classes that he takes um, in um, third year. Uh, 
with the choice that he makes to go into the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, what happens? Harry doesn't go for the stone in the first book. Nothing. Because Voldemort can't get it out of the mirror. If to, if Harry had never set foot, if Harry had never set foot in that room, Voldemort would have never come close to getting the, the Philosopher's Stone. Because he might have been able to get through all those traps, but he couldn't fool that mirror. And then all of Dumbledore's plans kind of fall to pieces. Because here he has a boy who lived who's not particularly interested in saving the fucking day. The Houdini of the amphibian world. I don't think there's enough Trevor Fick. To be perfectly honest, there is not enough Trevor Fick in the Harry Potter fandom. And whatever happens to Trevor, I mean, there's always this thing about how Hedwig died and how pitiful it was. Well, what happened to Trevor? Nobody knows. Trevor just disappeared. Written out. He was forgotten. Poor Trevor. <gasps> yes. Did you just get an idea? That's no. The, I got an idea sound. Oh, Liz, go to the corner. We actually have a real one now. Go get in the corner. What if Trevor was like he got hit in a, I don't know, Maybe Trevor goes to live in the Forbidden Forest and takes over. What if Trevor kills Scrabbers during the first year? <laughs> that's just 100%. That's just 100% crack. But there is that really great one, crack story, where Hedwig travels back in time. Um, and she... Uh, she makes Harry buy her this potion thing or this thing that she eats and it makes her have lasers in her eyes and she gives Trevor some kind of superhero shit too and then Trevor and Hedwig run around being superheroes in the magical world. (laughs) (sighs) There is a fic where Harry uses... Trevor to kill Umbridge. He's carrying Trevor and Trevor jumps on Umbridge um, and she freaks out and she falls down the stairs and dies. Okay. The Kung Fu Toad. It's it's laser eyes head in the Kung Fu. Yeah. It's called Let's Do the Time Warp Again. Yeah. (laughs) Trevor turned out to be a prince. <laughs> Foamy. <laughs> it is <laughs> Harry buys this this dark rat in the in the um pet shop and um his name is Foamy and he's like 
he's the he's the dark lord of rats, <laughs> and he puts him in a he puts him in a cage with scrabbers. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, after he castrates scrabbers because he thinks scrabbers is the problem, or well, that's what he tells Ron. The Harry Potter fandom has no shortage of crack. Sometimes amazing, sometimes scary, but it's always there. Um, but like I said, I would pick Mum with the transition for for Harry. Um, and you know, it, you ask yourself questions like, "Well, what if Jenny didn't make it out of the Chamber of Secrets? What if Harry and Ron didn't find the Chamber of Secrets in time?" And they went by themselves, and Lockhart isn't with them, so they both get there, and Jenny is dead. And they have to deal with a living, breathing, 16-year-old version of Tom Riddle. And no one needs that kind of negativity in their life. So Tom kills Ron, and, and Harry, in a fit of accidental... Of, of rage kills Tom Riddle the day. Oh, and two redheads are dead. Oh, oh no, it's so sad. It's so sad Aww. how that happened. Aww. If only so Jenny tragic. hadn't had that cursed dog. If <sighs> only she had told somebody. If only she had trusted her family enough to let her know that her diary was talking to her. Right? Um, I'm sorry, I Ron and Jenny. I tried so hard, but it was, and then and then I would have a hard time writing that without giggling my ass off the whole yeah. fucking time. Yeah. Well, it, it sometimes, sometimes for me, sometimes with Harry Potter, I especially almost more with Harry Potter than almost anything else is sometimes I'm trying to accomplish an end goal, like this is the thing I want to happen, and then you pick your canon divergent point from. Um, that best serves that goal, and that could be a that could be a function of what character is your central character. So, if Harry Potter is not your central character, moments that are central to Harry aren't particularly noteworthy to you, perhaps. And most of the other characters who aren't Harry, their pivotal moment pivotal moments are less obvious because we see don't see them all on screen. And that's when you have to kind of fill in the gaps. There are a couple of pre canon, um well it's not really pre canon, um, at the very beginning of book one where what if Sirius followed Hagrid to Privet Drive? Waited to Dumbledore left and then took Harry. I think that'd be a great canon divergent point. And they're really gonna fix it. We embodied Tom wears a red wig and none of the pure bloods can tell it's not Jenny. All the Muggleborns are trying to get someone to take action. 
No, really, it's not. <laughs> that's not Jenny. That's a dude. No, that's Jenny. It's Jenny Lee. I've known her since I was a kid. That's a dude. <laughs> Harry, I'm tell him that's sure a dude. Came, I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he came out of a diary that was that was that was possessing Jenny. No, that's Jenny. That's not a man. Okay. Ah, uh, the Superman syndrome. I haven't read that story, but um, it there's certainly precedent for people not being recognized without their glasses on. And it's actually a um, story where Christopher Reeve, during the filming of Superman, um, actually wore his costume out in public and was not recognized as Christopher Reeve. And in that, really? In that time period, yeah, it was like Superman 2. And he goes, he went out, had dinner, and no one noticed him. He did the same thing, not wearing the glasses, and had to get security. So, yeah. People, people come on now. <laughs> I don't even know. We got 45 seconds left. I'm not sure if that's an urban legend or not, but it's pretty fun. Um, in the end, we're all Lois Lane. Uh, 37 seconds. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone.